you're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Children. Hello, my radio friends. I'm glad you've tuned in today to hear more from God's Word, the Bible. I don't know how you feel, but I feel very privileged to know that God loves me and has given us the Bible, whereby we can learn about God's love, His existence, His plans for us, about where we came from, the reason why we exist, and what our future will be. Interestingly, our future depends on how we respond to God in this life. There are some who teach that all human beings are given a second chance to make up for the mistakes they make in this life. The second chance teaching is not from the Bible. It's a man-made-up theory, and it's not true. It's not plausible that someone who's disregarded God throughout their lives should, if given a second life, would act any differently. So it's important not to keep putting God off, because you may reach a point when you won't care anymore. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, the Lord reminds us, He says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. There are those who have said to themselves, Yes, one day I, I'll serve God, but not just yet. I want to have a bit of fun first. Usually that day when they give themselves to God never comes. Today, I want to share with you what it is like to give yourself to God. You may have seen a documentary, read about or heard about, people who, in an attempt to make themselves more holy and consequently acceptable to God, do things like self-torture, hoping that they will attain God's favour. Some of the things such people do are cut themselves, whip themselves, shut themselves away from other humans, take vows like vows of silence, recite prayers, go on pilgrimages, give to the poor and help the needy. But the question is, do these things make those people acceptable to God? Well, no. Martin Luther discovered that as he climbed Pilate's staircase in Rome on his knees and praying the Lord's Prayer on each of the 28 steps. That and many other acts of penance left him feeling empty and distant from God, whom he was seeking. In Matthew chapter 18 and the first few verses, we learn what Jesus said about the matter, that is, being acceptable to God. I'll read from verse 2. 
Jesus called a little child and had him stand among them, that's the disciples. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the disciples had just been arguing about who would be given special positions of importance in the kingdom of heaven. Probably some of them felt they should be given the highest positions because of their talents or the miracles they had done or even because of their family backgrounds. But Jesus could see the error of their reasoning and wanted them to learn that it was not fame, not hereditary, not wealth or hard work that would get them what they wanted. It was to be innocent and accepting as a little child. So what are little children like? Well, firstly, little children are dependent. They depend on their parents or carers for life's necessities. They're not in a position to work for a living, although, especially during the Industrial Revolution in the 1800s, many children were forced to work long and hard to help support their families. Little children are dependent on their parents for love, for guidance, for role models, and for security. You'll notice that when a little child is frightened, threatened or hurt, to whom does he or she turn? To mummy or daddy, of course. So in the statement Jesus made to his bickering disciples, he was pointing out that their merits or talents would do them no good in securing a place in God's kingdom. Instead, their dependence on what God, through Jesus, had done was essential to get them a place in God's kingdom. The second thing about little children is that they're innocent, or to put it in another way, they are guileless. They don't have ulterior motives. For them, what they do is sincere. They don't compare themselves to others. Their focus is on what they perceive as their own needs, and they become upset when those needs are not met. Anyone who wants to be a part of God's kingdom must be sincere, as little children mostly are. Although I've seen some little scallywags who pretend to cry in order to get their own way. But even in this, there's a certain amount of sincerity. Little children can't be accused of living double lives, pretending to be good while they're bad. They haven't learned to be cunning and crafty. That takes experience. With little children, what you see is what you get. Sincerity of motives and sincerity of heart is essential for anyone who 
who wants to be a part of God's kingdom. A third characteristic of little children is that they are humble. Humility is important for anyone who wants to be part of the kingdom of God. There are plenty of examples of this in the Bible. Jesus outlined that idea in several places in the Gospels. I'll read one of these statements to you, and it's from Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. He said, The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Matthew 19 tells the story of a rich young man who came to Jesus one day and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? The first thing Jesus told the man to do was to obey the commandments. The young man asked which commandments, and Jesus quoted several of the Ten Commandments and summarized them by saying, Love your neighbor as yourself. The rich young man announced, Yes, all these have I kept. What do I still lack? Then came the bombshell he did not expect. Jesus said, Go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Well, as it turns out, the rich young man, unwilling to forsake his privileged lifestyle, went away sad because he had great possessions. He was unwilling to humble himself. He was unwilling to forsake his lifestyle and he was unwilling to forsake the elevated position that he was used to. And really, that's the case with everyone who wants to be saved, to become part of the kingdom of God. You have to be willing to forsake your position of pride, whatever that may be, and accept the terms of salvation. You have to metaphorically come to the foot of the cross, confess your sins, ask for forgiveness, and live a life of understanding that it's not your achievements that get you eternal life, but what you allow Jesus to do within you. There's a further example in the Bible of someone humbling himself before God, given in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Jesus is speaking, and he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on the judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? 
Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Over and over and over again, there are examples in the New Testament about being humble in order to become saved. In our speech today, in our vernacular, is an expression about a rich man going through the eye of a needle. The reference is from Matthew 19, verse 24, where the Bible says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That rich man refers to a wealthy trader with his camels loaded with precious goods, wanting to enter the city after hours when the main gate is shut. Apparently in Jerusalem there was a narrow, low entrance and anyone intending to enter after hours had to unload all the goods from his camels and the camels had to crawl through in order to enter the city. And that's how it is with entering the kingdom of God. We have to have to be prepared to unload all our pride, our self-ego, our self-defences, in order to become acceptable to God. It won't just work for someone to strut up to God, puff out his chest and say, Here I am, God. I expect you've been waiting for me to come. You've got a good one in me. I have lots to offer. You need to have me sit right next to you so I can tell you all about my good works and accomplishments. No, that does not cut the mustard with God. We're going to have a short break and go on straight afterwards. Somebody ought to go and tell it on the mountain. 
God with our achievements and our good works doesn't help. Just like with little children, we must be humble. We must be prepared to unload the baggage and pride we carry within ourselves. We must be willing to forsake the sins and bad habits we've developed and leave them at the foot of the cross. Only then will we be acceptable to God. You know, another characteristic of little children is their trust. Trust and faith are interchangeable words. Faith and trust mean much the same thing. Little children have faith in their parents, faith that they'll be fed, faith that their parents will protect them, faith that their parents will answer their questions, direct them in the decisions they must make, and so on. Although most people do not think about faith very much, we all exercise faith many times a day. Here are some examples. When you turn the knob on a door, you have faith it will open. When you turn on a tap, you have faith that water will come out. When a clock ticks, you have faith that one tick will be followed by another tick. When you click the seatbelt buckle on your car, you have faith that the seatbelt will remain fastened. You don't have to prove these things. You trust that those things will happen. And it's the same with the kingdom of God. If you had to prove the existence of God, you'd find that hard to do, just like it's impossible to prove the theory of evolution. 
On the other hand, by the evidence, you can conclude that God exists. The Bible explains not only that God exists, but that God is the creator of the universe, and that he is interested in you. Even more than that, he loves you. The Bible tells how Jesus, who's God the Word, gave his sinless life to pay the penalty for our sins. It tells how he rose again and is now in heaven ministering on our behalf. The Bible tells how that Jesus will soon return to this sin-ravished planet and take home with him to heaven those who have been faithful to him. Can all this be scientifically proven? Of course not. It's something outside the field of scientific investigation. It has to be accepted by faith. In a family situation, just imagine that a father says to his little daughter that when he comes home from work that day, he will bring a present for her. Can she prove it? No. She has to accept what her daddy said by faith. Just so it is with entering the kingdom of God. If you refuse to accept salvation because you cannot prove it, then you'll never accept it. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 tells us, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Science requires a hypothesis, experimentation to test the hypothesis, repetition of the experiment and then a conclusion either supporting the hypothesis or not supporting it. Science cannot measure or test faith. A little child has faith and trust, and the believer also must have faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 points out, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so, what pleases God? God is very pleased when a sinner repents of his sins and wants to have a relationship with the Lord. The Bible tells us there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And if you want to read that for yourself, it's from Luke chapter 15, verse 10. That's what pleases God. My friends, we must become as little children if we're to enter the kingdom of God. Of course, that doesn't mean we have to lose the knowledge and wisdom we gain through the years. It doesn't mean that we have to become immature and naive. It doesn't mean that we become socially, emotionally, physically or mentally childish. 
What it does mean is that we must realize that we are dependent on God. We cannot save ourselves. Salvation is only through what God has done for us. It means that we must come to God with sincerity. We must have a desire to be pure and holy and to be in a right relationship with our Lord and with other people. It means we have to humble ourselves, to put aside whatever makes us feel self-sufficient or proud and go to the Lord asking him to forgive us because we've recognised that we're not all that we should be. It means that we must have faith, faith in the existence, in the supremacy and the love of God. With all those aspects of little children, then we will be fit to enter the kingdom of heaven. In my opinion, choosing the right option is a no-brainer. Live in sin and selfishness, and the result of your life will be eternal death. And from what I know, death is no fun. Choose to serve the Lord and live a life of righteousness, and the result is eternal life, full of happiness and joy. The latter of the two options is my choice and I hope it'll be your choice also. It's time to stop today. Please consider what I've presented to you, and please, for your own sake, and for my sake, and for the Lord's sake, choose life. You'll be so glad you did. So until next time, this is Len, signing off, and wishing you life, eternal life, filled with happiness forever and ever. My Jesus, my Savior.